Hello there, I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Good afternoon. Why am I in such a good mood? Because it's a beautiful sunny day. I you know could... it's still on the... It was slightly cooler this morning, but that sunshine, its uh, it was hard even in the cold to not be uplifted. You can sense the warm-up is coming. It, yeah. Right? It's uh, hidden under that layer of cold. You can tell that there is some warm-up coming. And uh, for those of you that might have had plans to stay home and watch some hockey tonight, change your plans. You're going to have to do something with the wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband. <laughs> like how you say, you're going to have to yep. do something yeah. with your wife. Your three-hour window <laughs> of solitude is closed shut. <laughs> Just like the Newark airport, the Jets uh, and the New Jersey Devils scheduled for a 6 o'clock Central face-off. That game has been postponed, and the Jets will now have to, in the middle of a two-game homestand, just make a quick run out to New Jersey for a game on March 28th. So uh, Jets-Devils, a no-go. That might be uh, changing a lot of people's plans for this evening. Wanted to get that out there real quick. Uh, changing plans for schools on the agenda of the provincial government today. They're announcing... To borrow some terminology from south of the line, repeal and replace a program that was uh, announced by the previous government and had implemented with much fanfare, reducing class sizes in early years to a maximum of 20 students. Keith McCullough joins us in studio now. How are you, bud? Good. Thanks for having me in, as always. Well, you were at the announcement today, and I know you had a one-on-one with Jeff Courier just uh, under an hour ago, but for those just tuning in, maybe you could... One more time, go over the announcement that was made by the provincial government this afternoon or this morning. You summed it up pretty nicely when you said much fanfare. Back in, I think, 2011, 2012, the NDP rolled this out. And it was basically sold as a way to sort of revolutionize early years education in Manitoba. Kids would get way more one-on-one time with the teacher and the attention they need in the different makeups of classrooms these days with special needs students and the like because class sizes would be capped from kindergarten to grade three at just 20 kids instead of 25 or 26. I mean, some of the classes were pretty full. And schools have been working to roll that out over the last five years. This is the final year, so essentially it's finally been done that the class sizes are properly capped. And a lot of new teachers were hired, too, in school divisions across the city because suddenly you might need a fourth grade two class because the classes are smaller now. Well, the new government, still relatively new, the progressive conservatives announcing today they're scrapping that limit and they're just going to let school divisions use sort of their own discretion to decide what works for them, how many classrooms do they have available, could we still make it work with 23, 24 kids in the class instead of a a cap of 20. It's more flexibility, more discretion for the individual school divisions. At least that's how it's being sold. And the other thing, guys, is that they're saying the provincial government of the day now is saying there wasn't really any evidence in the test scores and the assessments that they looked at that kids were actually learning better or doing better in school since these class sizes started being capped off. Was there anything other than anecdotal evidence Provided by the NDP to your reckon, recollection when they implemented this plan. Was there a promise of X, Y, or Z sort of, geez, I'm still in America, X, Y, or Z sort of test results or other ways that they would measure the benefits of reducing class sizes? 
not that we saw in terms of a tangible way. Of course, we have seen over the years guys that were doing worse than basically any other province in Canada when it comes to testing in science, math, reading, English, you know, things like that. The data presented today by the Tories is an assessment given to grade three students, I believe in 2016. Basically, they're assessed at the start of the year and then assessed at the end of the year uh, to see, you know, how their reading's doing, how their math's doing. And the graphs that they've presented, the Tories basically show that it's flat, that there isn't there. So they're saying there hasn't been a massive, it's not necessarily been a failure, this class size capping, but there hasn't been a massive improvement. Let's give some of the power back to the schools themselves to determine how things should work instead of just having this sort of arbitrary cap number. Now, I spoke with Ian Wishart, the education minister, and I asked him, you know, is there a chance, though, that because I heard from a couple teacher friends of mine just by text as soon as this came out, that there's a fear that teachers might be looking at being reassigned or maybe losing their jobs because a lot of them, especially younger teachers, were hired because of the fact that more teachers were needed when they capped these class sizes. So I asked Ian Wishart, our education minister, about that. There's really nothing about the change that we're doing that will change that. Um, the teachers will probably be refocused. We have had discussions about this particular situation with, with MTS. They have their own way of looking at things. We have our way. We're looking for, for the best results. I can tell you that a lot of the school divisions are telling us that the flexibility that we're offering them in, with this change is greatly appreciated and they'll be able to make it work for them. You don't expect any teachers to lose jobs as a result of I, I really don't think, think that there'll be any teachers lose jobs as, as a result of this. Just wanted to get them on the record at the end there saying that. MTS, by the way, is the Manitoba Teachers Society, the Teachers Union. I believe their president Norm Gould is going to join Richard and Julie later on today uh, on the news for reaction about this. So we'll see. I guess we'll see what happens, guys. This was a big promise by the NDP. They finally finished rolling it out. Class sizes are capped. And now that cap has been taken away. So the, the hope, obviously, is that classes don't balloon up to 30 kids now. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. But school divisions, school teachers, the principals at schools are going to have, theoretically, a little more discretion to say, let's put 24 kids in this class and maybe we'll stick an extra resource teacher in there so that it's not overwhelming for the teacher. And then this one can still be 20 and this one will be 22 with a couple of special needs students. You know, a little a little bit more room for them to sort of jiggle things around. Maybe it can be a positive. I guess it's sort of a, a wait and see. Be interesting to hear from parents, certainly, on what they thought. Of, of this cap if, if their child is in those younger years and had been in one of these classes and if they'd noticed any change in terms of how much time the, spe- the teacher was, was spending with their child helping them learn. Well, and the word that jumped out uh, from what Mr. Minister Wishart was saying was some teachers may be refocused. That the- kind of smacks of... Uh, that's just one of those sinister words that politicians use to try to make something sound better than it might actually be. It, it might be a case of, say you're a teacher who has their own classroom, and that's what teachers want, right? They want to have that stable job where they're a full-time teacher and they have their own class with the name on the door and they can get to know the kids. Maybe they might have to be moved into sort of a specialist resource teacher kind of role where you focus on reading or you focus on mathematics and you help out another teacher who's actually technically the classroom teacher. So, yeah, you can say he can say refocused, whether you want to say reassigned or moved around a little bit. 
But we do now have him on record saying he doesn't believe that any teachers would outright lose their jobs because of this. Just seems like a, to borrow a school term, kind of a mathematics <laughs> thing, right, guys? More teachers have been hired in the last few years because they needed more because the classes were smaller. If the classes get bigger again, do you need as many teachers. The other question, the other issue is infrastructure. Do we need as many classrooms? There's been there have been calls for new schools in different parts of the city around the province. Will that justify holding off on some school construction down the line? I'm trying to put my fortune teller's cap on and look in the crystal ball and see some of the other ramifications that might come out of this announcement if class sizes are not capped at certain sizes, does that leave the door open for a school that was scheduled to be built in 2018 or 2019 to press pause on that? And a lot of schools, the other problem with this capping the class sizes, guys, just quickly, is that they didn't have the uh, the amount of classrooms required to do that. If suddenly your classes have to be smaller and you need five grade three classes instead of three, well, we don't have any more classrooms. So that's where all these portable classrooms are coming from. And they're just wasn't the space. So that's one of the things that made this whole classroom size cap thing hard to do. Maybe that can be one of the positives moving forward that suddenly with the classes a little bit bigger, at least every teacher can have a classroom now to actually teach their class in. We want to get your opinion on this. Keith, thank you for the insight and the official word and the, uh, of course, the quote from Minister Wishart. Phone lines are open now. We want to hear you and your voice, 7806868. What is your reaction to this announcement by the provincial government? 204-780-6868 is the number to text. It's the number to call as well. We would love to hear your voice. Or if you're sitting at your desk at work, maybe you can't pick up the phone, but you do have time to send us an email. My email address is brett at cjob.com. Greg's is gmac at cjob.com. But if you can pick up that phone and share your thoughts, 204-780-6868. Your forecast up next. 118 on this Tuesday afternoon. We're looking for your input. The announcement from the provincial government this afternoon, they are eliminating the plan introduced by the NDP government just about six years ago to limit the class size to 20 students for early years education, kindergarten to grade three. The different school divisions will now be allowed to appropriate resources that were originally appropriated for that program into something else, whether it be more resources. If they want to continue to have smaller classrooms, they can do that. It is called the Early Years Education Initiative. We're looking for your feedback at 204-780-6868. And we are joined by Hank on the phone at 204-780-6868. Hello, Hank. What do you think? Yeah, good day. Your producer actually got my name wrong. It's Ken. Oh. I think I, he heard me say thanks, and he, he interpreted it as Hank. Anyway. No, no problem. Uh, thanks, Ken. I remember this this uh, announcement coming out along with two others. The other two announcements were 200 more medical doctors and 1,000 more nurses. And what that effectively did, those those three announcements together, uh, the cap size of the classroom at tw- uh, 20 students, it effectively doubled our daily provincial debt service from $4.1 million to $8.2 million per day. This decision had nothing to do with improving the quality of education and I think obviously by your announcement today the facts have borne that out. I'm just wondering why more Manitobans aren't absolutely outraged about this and how people can continue to vote for the NDP party. 
and I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm not. An, I, I don't like any form of government until there's a right of recall. And there was a question that I asked behind the scenes, and I'm a parent, Ken, uh, or uh, Ken, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, uh, can, I'm a parent, Ken. You can call me Hank. And of course, when this announcement came out, I thought, you know, more one-on-one time with a teacher. I know lots of teachers. I know what their complaints are in the classroom. But you also wonder about the pandering to the base. We know that political parties like to please their bases and their voter base. And of course, uh, unions play a very large role in terms of the popularity and the election of NDP governments right across the country. Well, on your on one of your previous sound bites, you you were uh, you were interviewing. I'm sorry, if it, it, it was somebody from the, it wasn't uh, the MTS, but you had another individual that you were interviewing. Uh, uh, about remember. the school boards, yes, it was Ken Cameron, the president of the Manitoba School Board Association. Okay, did, did you hear what he said? He said the MTS has their view of things, and we have ours. Oh, this so would that's a, that's, a, that, that's absurd in a real world. Well, actually, that clip was from the education minister Ian Wisher. The one that we played today. So how how can they have diverging viewpoints? It's absurd. And you see, this whole system is based on, let's just be adversarial. Somebody comes out with a statement. Rather than, I mean, does anybody ever make a right decision in government that everybody else can endorse? Ever? No. Whether it's conservative, liberal, or NDP? I mean, if you're to take all these people at their word, they're all liars. Because they're all calling each other liars. So let's assume they're all correct. And as a taxpayer, I'm tired of this. We have no more money. That's why the austerity is coming in the way it is. And I have to pose another question. It just rankles me listening this morning to the announcements about Dakota and Kelvin. If those schools were Strathcona and St. John's, would anybody be saying anything? I get your question. And how about we all uh, leave it hang there, Ken, because it's a great one. We appreciate it. Fair enough. Thank you, sir. Let's go to Wayne at 204-780-6868. Hey, Wayne, what do you think? Well, frankly, I have to say I applaud the government for doing this. When it was first announced, I asked specifically, I'm an ex-trustee, I asked specifically what evidence would there be to cap these at an arbitrary 20 uh, students per classroom? The Current stuff, not the current stuff. Hey, Wayne, the, sorry, Wayne, I'm going to interrupt you. I need you to turn your radio off, okay? Oh, sorry. There we go. How's that? That's better. Thanks. Yeah. Anyways, uh, there was no evidence to, that this would actually help the students. But frankly, it was done as a sop just to, before the last election to get the uh, MTS on side. <laughs> there, there was no evidence that this actually would work. And then there's a whole pile of province, uh, problems. One of them you, you started talking about was the teachers uh, may lose their jobs. Well, the teachers are not hired by the province. They're hired by individual school divisions. So if there's any problems there, that goes back to the school divisions themselves. And I should explain, a teacher with one year of service, first year, if they get the second year, they get tenure. They're there for the next 30 years. All right. Wayne, thank you for the call at 204-780-6868. Appreciate your feedback. I, you know, I went to a smaller school. I went to French Immersion in Transcona, so I never had massive schools. I think maybe the biggest class I ever had would have been 25. 
But I've always, I sort of wonder if if there were just this obligatory smaller glass size or capped size, I wonder if it would be better served in the later years in, in a high school environment where there's more discussion uh, because then that way that can prevent some people from becoming anonymous. I think when... I mean, I, again, I just think of this off the top of my head, well, but when you're a little here's kid. The thing. Here's the thing, right? It's anecdotal. So your point is completely as valid as any... Well, there was no research presented by the NDP when they brought it in. So your observations on this are as valid as anything put forward six years ago when they brought this in. So continue on that. Well, I was just... Because I, I remember in, I want to say grade 11 biology... Uh, we got a little off track from biology. We were talking about university and post-secondary, and my teacher, Estelle Lamoura, who has been has visited this radio station a couple of times in recent years, she was sort of looking, going through the class and saying, you would be better for the University of Manitoba, you would be better for the University of Winnipeg, because you would benefit from a smaller class, and you'd be okay at the U of M, because you don't, you know, being anonymous wouldn't, hurt you. And I remember her saying, you should go to the U of W because the class sizes are smaller. Because if you go to the U of M, you'll just disappear into the background. And I went to the U of M and that's exactly what I did. I disappeared into the background. 200 seat lecture halls for sociology. Yeah. You can sleep in the back row. You can sleep in the front row. The prof doesn't care. No. And I, and I, I was completely unengaged, disengaged from the process. And I eventually dropped out of university, partly because I just had no idea what I wanted to do, but maybe had I been in a smaller class setting, I would have done differently. So I don't know where the what age group it's better, if it's better at all, if it's completely arbitrary, depending on the person. I don't know. I think that's the whole point, is this is anecdotal. Common sense to me says that if you've got fewer students in a classroom, they're going to have more time, more opportunity face-to-face with a teacher. Do I have anything to back that up? Is there any evidence anywhere that says and proves that that is an actual benefit? I suspect there's not. There was none presented six years ago, and the evidence that was presented yesterday, clearly, or today, was presented to prove a point, a particular point. But what is the actual goal? And that's part of the discussion that I think that we're missing. And I think Ken pointed it out is that nobody seems to be right. Everybody's wrong. Nobody's right because we can't seem to find any common ground. And that's the problem with politics today. And it and it streams through all of our public services into education, into health is one side is wrong. The other is right or they're both wrong and there's no common ground. And I, I think we need to find more common ground. Global News at 1.30, up next. We'll just take a couple moments to wrap up our discussion with regard to the provincial government announcement today. They are rescinding, repeal and replace the program put in place by the NDP government to cap early years education, classrooms, kindergarten and grade three at 20 students. They are replacing it. Brett McGarry with the Early Years Education Initiative, which will replace the Smaller Classes Initiative, affording school divisions greater flexibility and autonomy to direct funding in ways that will improve outcomes for students in the early years kindergarten to grade three. That'll begin in the 2017-2018 school year. We wanted your feedback. We got a couple of calls, including one from Ken and Wade says uh, via text at 7806868. I like Ken. 
that from Wade. Uh, this is uh, expletive ridiculous. And I actually reached out to a friend of mine who is a teacher, and I just asked her for a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, she teaches junior high, so this doesn't necessarily affect her, but her very quick reaction was, what What am I reacting to? I've been teaching all day. Ah, 30 kids per classroom again? That never impacted me because I teach grades 7 and 8. We are allowed to get stuck with 33 if administration has to. Policies like these make it clear no one at the province has the best of interest of their children in mind or is at all interested in keeping teachers in the profession. So that's one teacher's opinion, and we'll hear more from the uh, Manitoba Teacher Society later this afternoon on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. Another text here at 7806868, Brett. Early years are where learning disabilities get diagnosed. Kids are good at pretending, faking their way through school. With class sizes growing, kids will fall through the cracks and have trouble later. Kids already get missed, and higher class sizes will mean more diagnoses getting missed as well. And here's one from uh, Marnie, who says, you didn't read this one yet already, did you? I did not. Thanks for (laughs) qualifying that. (laughs) Oh, while I was going through my phone. This is ridiculous, says Marnie. My daughter was in kindergarten last year and had 40 children and two teachers. When she started grade one, the comments from the grade one teacher were that she was far behind and almost helpless. Now my daughter does not have behavior issues and had trouble asking for help for fear of being wrong. So in turn, she got left behind and no one even noticed. Now she is in a grade one class of fewer than 20 children and a full-time EA. She is finally getting the help she deserves and is succeeding at a rapid pace. With this announcement, I can't imagine what grade two will look like for her. We got this one as well. The 20-student max was a joke from the get-go. It resulted in more split classes and had two or three grade levels, but... Less than 20 kids. The result was increased workload for the teacher, more noise, and less contact time for the student. How do, and, and I don't know if you know this, Greg, off the top of your head, but in how does it result in split classes where you have numerous grades in one room? I've had conversations with teachers over the years about the split classes thing. I was in a split class way back in the mid-70s, grade two and three class. So I was in the same classroom for two years. One year I benefited as being the grade two student of working at my level, my speed, with some grade threes on different math, science, reading, etc. And I benefited from being in the same classroom with grade two students because they would come to me for help. And there is a lot of benefit in being a mentor and being a tutor uh, to other kids. So I have been in a split class twice, uh, grade two and three and grade four and five. I loved it. I thought I found extraordinary benefit personally. Uh, I've not really come to a conclusion on a why they're beneficial other than my personal experience and why they're doing them. But it's definitely a conversation that we should be having and learning more about as to why split classrooms seem to be the norm, why they're preferred. And if they're not preferred, why are they necessary? So yeah. we'll dig into that. Absolutely. I think it's a great question. It's one a lot of people have. And uh, Danny says here, um, you need to do this discussion again for a week long and talk to the parents. Danny, parents are always welcome to call. We will uh, revisit this topic. Absolutely. We were prepared to go another half hour with it based on phone calls. Uh, text messages are great. But as we've mentioned, we'd love to hear people in their own voice at 780-6868.
So shall, in the meantime, shall we move on, Mr. Mackling? I think we should. Or what do you want to do here? Because we're getting a lot of feedback here, and we really want to give you the opportunity to feedback on this. Do we have an opportunity later in the program to come back to this? I think we do. Yeah, we should be able to come back to this. Uh, we can. We, do we have? What do we have? We're forgive us here. We're just sort of figuring out our show as we move along. Well, no, we want. We, we our goal is always to leave <laughs> as much time as we can for the talkers, as we call them, as possible. And if you want to interact, we're prepared to interact. But we have to have a backup plan. If you're unprepared to interact, we've chosen the <laughs> wrong topic. And Charles Adler did an outstanding piece yesterday. And he tells a story in only a way he can, and we wanted to play that for you. So why don't we take a break? We'll update you on weather, and then we'll come back with um, just a wonderful story uh, told only as Charles Adler can do in his voice when we return. Your forecast up next on 680 CJOB. It's 144. We'll get to Charles Adler in just a minute when we set, want to set this up. Terminally ill ch- children's author Amy Krauss Rosenthal, who penned a heartbreaking essay and dating profile for her husband, passed away yesterday. I think, Brett, just before we came on air yesterday afternoon, she was 51. Charles Adler will uh, fill you in on the rest of the details. She penned... Uh, a letter, an open letter entitled, You May Want to Marry My Husband. It went viral last week. Here's Charles. A magnificent storyteller died today. Amy Rosenthal wrote children's stories and made films and lived in Chicago until she died today of ovarian cancer at the age of 51. And did I mention Amy was a great wife? How great? She wrote her final essay on Valentine's Day, and it's called, You May Want to Marry My Husband. I've been trying to write this for a while, but the morphine and lack of juicy cheeseburgers, what has it been now, five weeks without real food, have drained my energy and interfered with whatever prose prowess remains. Additionally, the intermittent micro-naps that keep whisking me away mid-sentence are clearly not propelling my work forward as quickly as I would like. But they are admittedly a bit of trippy fun. Still, I have to stick with it, because I'm facing a deadline, in this case a pressing one. I need to say this, and say it right, while I have a your attention, and be a pulse. I have been married to the most extraordinary man for 26 years. I was planning on at least another 26 together. Want to hear a sick joke? A husband and wife walk into the emergency room in the late evening on September 5th, 2015. A few hours and tests later, The doctor clarifies that the unusual pain the wife is feeling on her right side isn't the no-biggie appendicitis they suspected, but rather ovarian cancer. As the couple head home in the early morning of September 6th, somehow through the foggy shock of it all, they make the connection that today, the day they learned 
what had been festering, is also the day they would have officially kicked off their empty nestering. The youngest of their three kids had just left for college. So many plans instantly went poof. No trip with my husband and parents to South Africa. No reason to now apply for that Harvard Loeb Fellowship. No dream tour of Asia with my mum. No writer's residencies at those wonderful schools in India, Vancouver, Jakarta. No wonder the word cancer and cancel look so similar. This is when we entered what I came to think of as Plan B. B.E., existing only in the present. As for the future, allow me to introduce you to the gentleman of this article, Jason Brian Rosenthal, an easy man to fall in love with. I did it in one day. Let me explain. My father's best friends in summer camp, Uncle John, had known Jason and me separately our whole lives. Jason and I had never met. I went to college out east and took my first job in California. When I moved back home to Chicago, John, who thought Jason and I were perfect for each other, set us up on a blind date. It was 1989. We were only 24. I had precisely zero expectations about this going anywhere. But when he knocked on the door of my little frame house... I thought, uh-oh, there's something highly likable about this person. And by the end of dinner, I knew I wanted to marry him. Jason? He knew a year later. I've never been on Tinder or eHarmony, but I'm going to create a general profile for Jason right here, based on my experience of coexisting in the same house with him for like uh, 9,490 days. First, the basics. He's five foot ten, 160 pounds, salt and pepper hair, and hazel eyes. The following list of attributes is in no particular order because everything feels important to me in some way. He's a sharp dresser. Our young adult sons, Justin and Miles, often borrow his clothes, and those who knew him or just happened to glance down at the gap between his dress slacks and dress shoes, they know he has a flair for fabulous socks. He's fit and enjoys keeping in shape. And if our home could speak, it would add that Jason is uncannily handy. On the subject of food, man, can he cook. After a long day, there is no sweeter joy than seeing him walk in the door, plop a grocery bag down on the counter, and woo me with olives and some yummy cheese he has procured before he gets to work on the evening's meal. Jason loves listening to live music. It's our favorite thing to do together. I should also add that our 19-year-old daughter, Paris, would rather go to a concert with him than anyone else. When I was working on my first memoir, I kept circling sections my editor wanted me to 
expand upon. She would say, I'd like to see more of this character. Of course I would agree. He was indeed a captivating character. But it was funny because she could have just said, Jason, let's add more about Jason. He's an absolutely wonderful father. Ask anyone. See that guy on the corner? Go ahead. Ask him. He'll tell you Jason is compassionate, and he can flip a pancake. Jason paints. I love his artwork. I I would call him an artist, except for the law degree that keeps him at the downtown office most days from 9 to 5. Or at least it did, before I got sick. If you're looking for a dreamy, let's-go-for-it-travel companion, Jason's your man. He also has an affinity for tiny things. Taster spoons, little jars, a mini-sculpture of a couple sitting on a bench, which he presented to me as a reminder of how our family began. Here's the kind of man Jason is. He showed up at our first pregnancy ultrasound with flowers. This is a man who, because he's always up early, surprises me every Sunday morning by making some kind of oddball smiley face out of items near the coffee pot. A spoon, a mug, a banana. This is a man who emerges from the mini-mart or gas station and says, Give me your palm, and voila! A colorful gumball appears. He knows I love all the flavors but white. My guess is you know enough about him now, so let's swipe, right? Wait, wait. Did I mention he's incredibly handsome? I'm going to miss looking at that face of his. If he sounds like a prince, and our relationship seems like a fairy tale, it's not too far off. Except for all of the regular stuff that comes from two and a half decades of playing house together. And the part about me getting cancer. In my most recent memoir, written entirely before my diagnosis, I invited readers to send in suggestions for matching tattoos. The idea being that author and reader would be bonded by ink. I was totally serious about this and encouraged submitters to be serious as well. Hundreds poured in. A few weeks after publication in August, I heard from a 62-year-old librarian in Milwaukee named Paulette. See, she suggested the word more. This was based on an essay in the book where I mentioned that more was my first spoken word. True. And now it may very well be my last. Time shall tell. In September, Paulette drove down to meet me at a Chicago tattoo parlor. She got hers, her very first, on her left wrist. And I got mine on the underside of my left forearm, in my daughter's handwriting. This was my second tattoo. The first is a small lowercase j that has been on my ankle for 25 years. And you can probably guess what it stands for. Jason has one, too, but with more letters. A-K-R. My initials. I want more time with Jason. I want 
more time with my children. I want more time sipping martinis at the Green Mill Jazz Club on Thursday nights. But that's not going to happen. I probably have only a few days left being a person on this planet. So why am I doing this? I'm wrapping this up on Valentine's Day and the most genuine, non-vase-oriented gift I can hope for is that the right person reads this, finds Jason, and another love story begins. I'll leave this intentional empty space below as a way of giving you the fresh start you deserve. With all my love, Amy. Amy Rosenthal died today in Chicago. She was 51. I'm Charles Adler on the Chorus Radio Network. You can hear Charles every night, 9 till midnight. He read that last night. Amy Rosenthal passed away. Valiant effort, a valiant fight against cancer. And that was the letter she wrote on Valentine's Day, hoping to find her now widower husband a new companion in life. A very heartfelt letter, one that uh, was not easy to read. I read it originally and not one easy to listen to, but Charles Adler did it as only he can. Global News coming up next. In the next few minutes, we will announce our next qualifier for the Getaway to U2 trip. May 12th and 13th, you'll jet away to Vancouver on us. You'll get to see the 30th anniversary tour for the Joshua Tree. So jealous by this. We will announce a name, and that individual will have five minutes to give us a call here at CJOB. That's coming up in a few minutes with Mackling and McGarry. I'm Mackling. He's McGarry. Hello there. How's your afternoon going, Brad? So far, so good. A little hungry, though. Are you? Yeah. Why? Why did you not eat before we came on the air? I don't know. I'm always hungry. Uh, got really? a, that is true. Yeah. I've noticed that about you. Sorry, <laughs> I don't have any extra bananas today. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> hey, I got a couple of text messages with regard to uh, the reading of that uh, that letter, that incredible essay from Amy Rosenthal, her last professional work, a plea for someone to please uh, marry her husband after she passes away. We played that for you in the voice of Charles Adler. And uh, here's the one that sticks out for me. One of the text messages we got at 780-6868. That was a tough one, guys. Makes me want to be a better husband. Appreciate the honesty in that. Yeah, absolutely. That's the effect Charles Adler has. I remember he, he, uh, he often goes to this one. It's, uh, how, it's called How Could You? A dog, the dog story. Oh, my gosh. And I can't remember who wrote it, but Charles likes to go to it because it's an all-time classic. And mm-hmm. the first time he told the story while I was his technical producer, I tried. I tried to hold it together, but I sat in that control room just bawling like a baby. That's the, the kind of storyteller Charles is. And uh, that's, it was one of the great things about working with Charles is I'd like to think I picked up just a shred. If I picked up a shred of his storytelling ability and can maybe hone that over the years, uh, that's something to strive for. But he really knows how to, to bring it home. Nine till midnight, you can hear Charles Adler live right here on 680 CJOB from his new home 
at least physically in Vancouver on the West Coast. He's uh, back on the Course Network right across Western Canada. And we've had him on the show a couple of times now, and he's thrilled to be back in this market on the air. And uh, we need to endeavor to engage Charles a little bit more often because uh, he is one of the great broadcasters in Canadian history without question. For sure. And regardless, and certainly often divisive. But I think that's what makes him so great because you you don't you don't listen to Charles and not have a feeling either way. You need to have an opinion, right? When you come to the table, if you haven't got one before he starts either interviewing a guest or making his own opinion clear, and he does that very rarely, I find. Uh, he does more of education through interview and conversation. Mm. Uh, you will definitely have a, an opinion on the topic by the time he's done. That is true. And I mentioned earlier I was hungry. I think I was kind of hoping that I'm, that our guest might bring some stuff in. Some baking, perhaps, <laughs> because I know she's been busy, her and her mom, and a whole gaggle of people, I imagine, based on the amount of baking I'm seeing on Facebook. Reese Precourt joins us again in studio. It's Hi. that time. Reese's Pieces Project 3.0. Yes, it how, is. How you been doing? I've been good. How about you guys? Really well. Are you getting some sleep is the question. That is debatable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a bit more than my mom, but still lacking for sure. <laughs> so what have you been up to? For those um, that don't know about Reese's Pieces 1.0 or 2.0, give us the uh, history lesson. Oh, gosh. Well, that's a long story, but I'll shorten it up for you. Um, basically started Reese's Pieces project when I was in grade 8 for a community service project. I am now in grade 11, and I have done, this is my third bake sale for Lighthouse Mission, raising money for people who are homeless, and I have now raised over $7,000. We've gotten all our baking from people all around Winnipeg and incredible bakeries who've been just incredibly generous. That is the whole reason this has happened, and the reason it's still working and growing is because of the people who buy the baking, donate the baking, donate the money, and the people who help me volunteer behind the counter. It isn't a, it's amazing in my mind when you, when you work on a project like this and your focus is on the event, the night of the event, the day of the event, you're working towards this day. And then you get the engagement of all these other people in the community that either hear about your cause or are made aware of it. And then the strangest volunteers come out, and, and I mean strange <laughs> in a good way, from strange places and the donations, and it's like I never even conceptualized that it could go the way it's go. Exactly. That that it's gone. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's incredible. We've had the most incredible, like, incredible donations, but the weirdest donations. Not going to lie. Like, we totally accept it, but we've had some ethnic desserts that have just been like, whoa, like, I've never had some different Greek desserts, and then we're getting cabbage buns, I think. Like, what? Like, it's incredible, and it's delicious. Like, trust me, all those odds and ends that you can't put in, you know, you can't put in the (laughs) containers, right? Um, Those are delicious, and we thank you all. Why the Lighthouse Mission? Oh, my gosh. Well, that is a tough one. My uh, my well, the real reason when I started it, my dad was donating his time. He owns a painting business, color scheme professional painters. He he does. Uh, he did a donation. He painted their new kitchen back when I was in grade eight, and 
I heard about them when I had to do a project. I didn't even know what to do the bake sale for in grade eight. I didn't know. And then he was like, well, I'm doing this donation for Lighthouse Mission. Um, and I went to go check it out and I was set. Like I saw Lighthouse Mission. I saw the people there. I saw the mission itself. And it was just, it hit me right in the heart. They are such an incredible group of people there. And that's why I've come back every single time. So did this start then as a class project? It did. Um, it started back, I think I was like 11 or something. I was so young and we started back, like, I just think about that. Since the 16 year old. Well, I'm I, so young. <laughs> well, I just, it's crazy, like, how forever ago it was. I know that I'm saying that, talking to you guys, but. Yeah, because we're still old. Oh, <laughs> like, no, no, a not of at all. Not at all. I, was I just. born in the Mesozoic era. <laughs> I just, I, I started it with a class project and it grew into something so much more with the support of my family and friends and now I've raised over $7,000 like wow and this has not gone unnoticed RBC we day have paid tribute to your efforts and you know the, the amount of money I think is inconsequential it's a significant amount of money but for me and what I know about it, it's about the spirit in which and under which and from which you approach this project oh my gosh yeah I mean, like, I got to meet people throughout the process. Like, I, this spring, got to see this this incredible project come together. I was able to be in We Day. In Toronto, it was aired. And RBC sponsored me for this massive project, RBC 150. And I was one of three people across Canada who got to be in this project and talk about what I've done in the community. And... Just because of that, it has grown our awareness in the community and has made all these projects so much bigger. Starts as a school project. Why have you kept going? Um, I've kept going. I'm going to say this again, but with the people I've met um, throughout my time doing this, I've met Jaylen Johnson of Lighthouse Mission, Joel Cormie, um, both incredibly passionate people at the mission who work so hard and put in so much time and effort to help the people there. And after I've seen, you know, the kitchen that I put money towards the very first time when it was redone, I saw the work that they put into it. And I was like, I cannot stop doing this. I've put my time into this and there's no going back now and not I didn't want to. I mean, I met the people and I had to stay connected to this incredible community. I think it's uh, awesome what can happen out of an obligation, <laughs> right? Because a class project is an yeah. obligation, something that is expected and how it can turn into something that you don't have to do anymore, but you do it because you love it. How has your view of philanthropy and sharing and, and giving changed over the last four or five years, Reese, based on your experience? Well, I mean, you always see those people who are in newspapers and magazines about how they do incredible work in, in the world as global citizens. And you just think, how is that even possible that they can go to Africa and build schools or, you know, do something like a bake sale or whatever? It doesn't matter the size. But you go out and do it yourself and then you think, well, it just happened because of the people that were close to me and we just happened to raise $7,000, but it goes by so quickly and you just see it all grow and it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's an incredible feeling. Because yeah, I think sometimes in the world, we look at these big problems, right? These 
huge problems, uh, yes. whether they're environmental, whether they're education, whether it's uh, something you mentioned, Africa, whether it's famine, whether it's a lack of education, whether it's civil war. We look at these things and we go, what can I do? Exactly. Well, you can't fix it all. There's no ma- magic wand, but we can all do something. We can all do a little something. And if we all do a little something, who knows what we can change? So what do you think you've changed? Um, I've, ho- I hope that I've, you know, put some food in some people's stomachs with the, with the money that we've raised for the new kitchen. And I talked about it in my Wee Day video, um, just about how I don't like people seeing people going to bed who don't have food. I know it's a cheesy line. Everybody says it, but it's the truth. And just to think that there are kids my age that don't go to school, they can't go to school because they're supporting their families or they don't have food or whatever the case is. I don't like hearing about it. It makes me very sad to think that I grew up in an incredible life. I'm so fortunate to live the life that I have, and yet people aren't living the life that I have or something similar to it or whatever the case is. We've met uh, a lot of young philanthropists on this show and I'm just curious to know, is there, why do you think that is with, with young people like yourself? It seems to me, and maybe it's, maybe it's not new, I don't know, Greg, but it seems to me it's, there are more young people doing stuff like this. So I I'm agree. Wonder, so I'm wondering, what is it about your age group that is driving you to, to do so much good? Um, I would have to say some of us are just a little more special. No, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. She's cheeky too. I like that. (laughs) No, anybody can do this. You know what? It's just about having the confidence to get out there and anyone can do it. It does not have to be as big as what I did. Um, and you can do anything to support the community. As Greg, you were saying, you can do just about anything, whether it's going to volunteer at any mission, at any, you know, donation center, it doesn't matter what it is. If you put the time and effort into it, you're going to see the outcome with all the people who you've supported. Well, I sense a mentorship going on for you henceforth. <laughs> are you are you helping those now that are engaged in these projects, these obligatory product projects at your school? Are you helping? Are you directing those? Or are you letting the uh, younger ones figure, get, figure it out for themselves? <laughs> um, I have been helping out my younger cousin. Well, we call her my cousin. Um, she's very, very close to me. And she's going to be at my bake sale having her own little sale beside me. And she's collected a bunch of baking. She's hoping to pursue this as well as a young philanthropist. And I just look forward to seeing what she'll come up with. Well, Reese, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about Reese's Pieces 3.0. When is that happening? That is this Saturday, 756 Pembina Highway from 9 to 3 all day. 756 Pembina, is there a sign we can look for? There's going to be a landmark. There's going to be a massive banner outside, and there's going to be one inside as well. It's the, is it the Sherwin-Williams store? Yes. Okay, fantastic. That'll help people for their uh, Google searches. <laughs> so one more time on Saturday from 9 till 4, the Sherwin-Williams on Pembina Highway. What's the number on Pembina? 756. 756. Reese's Pieces 3.0. Get involved. Support the incredible work of this young woman who is uh, making a difference in our community for Lighthouse Mission. Thank you. 
680 CJOB's Fly Away to You 2 Your time to win is now. Shilpa Taylor, you have five minutes to call 204-780-6868. Shilpa Taylor, 204-780-6868. If you call in in the next four minutes and 56 uh, seconds, Shilpa, you will qualify to be one of the names entered to be called on Friday, March 31st with Shadow Davis. You can still enter online at cgob.com in order to get your name called either at 710 with Shadow Davis, 1110 with Jeff Courier, 210-ish with Mackling and McGarry (laughs) or with Julie and Richard and the news. And then every day at those different times, we will announce a different winner. You'll have five minutes to call and then you will be entered for a flight to two, flight four two to Vancouver for the sold out U2 concert, which takes place Friday, May 2nd, uh, May 12th, pardon me, flight from Winnipeg and back. We're even going to bring you back hotel accommodation for two people on the 12th and 13th. So Shilpa Taylor, you have about four minutes to call us at 780-6868 if you want to go see U2. Reese Precourt sticking around for a couple more minutes because Reese, you're so humble. <laughs> we do all this conversation and then you neglected to tell us that you're in fact sponsoring another event with the <laughs> proceeds from this bake sale. What an outstanding initiative that is. Talk about rocking for a reason, begging for change. All right. Well, next Thursday, I'm going to be having this incredible, I'm not having it, sorry. I'm sponsoring it at the Norwood Hotel. I have had the honor of working with Jalen Johnson, who's organizing it, of Lighthouse Mission. And I am sponsoring their event there, helping with whatever supplies they need from my bake sale. And uh, I'm just so happy to be a part of it. So if you want to get tickets, you know how much they are? Yes. Well, um, they are $25, as I'm being told. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your mom's a good uh, handler here. <laughs> and you can get tickets uh, by emailing Jalen Johnson. It's just J-L-Y-N-N at Lighthouse Mission. We're going to go with .com. Trish is just going to double check that. Mom is going to check it if you want to double check it as well so that we can make sure that we get this out, Reese. If you can uh, just double check that email, rocking for reason, begging for change. And of course, Reese's Pieces Project 3.0 this Saturday. That's March 18th, uh, 9 till 4. So if you uh, celebrate on Friday, St. Patrick's Day, uh, going straight through till 4 o'clock. You'll have some stuff, you know, left over. green cookies or whatever. That a girl. I like the way (laughs) you're thinking. Sherwin-Williams Sherwin Store on Pembina Highway. 756, I think, is what you said, Pembina Highway. If I had to guess, it's going to be probably lighthousemission.ca because lighthousemission.com is in New York. We got Jalen John Jalen, sorry, at lighthousemission.ca. And if uh, that was too quick for you, gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com, and we'll get you connected. Have you ever had any trouble, by the way? Just curious, the fact that the the event is called Reese's Pieces. Have you ever been contacted by Reese's on that? That would be really cool. I've never (laughs) had that happen before, but gosh, maybe I should just make that happen. I think that would be great. It would make for great publicity. Yeah, they'd probably, I bet you they could be, they might want to sponsor the event, perhaps. Oh gosh, don't get me all excited. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Reese, thanks again for taking some time for us today. I know you've been very busy in the lead up to Saturday's event. Congratulations for uh, continuing with this outstanding community service work and looks like you're stepping it up a notch yet again. So uh, <laughs> congratulations on that. Thank you. 227 Global News at 2.30. Coming up next, Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. Sorry to mean to do that to you there. No. It's Just kind of <laughs> threw it to you. Oh, <laughs> hey, Brett, why don't you talk now? Well, it's okay. Well, it's, maybe it's fitting that I, that I introduce this because I've often referred to myself as an uncultured lout, which is one of the things that I enjoy about this show. And actually, just, just by fluke, we have... The symphony booked in this half hour, and the next half hour, the ballet. By the time we leave here at 5 o'clock tonight, you're going to be wearing a tuxedo, my friend. (laughs) You're going to be so cultured. You're going to be in uh, shirt and tails. Can I wear a white scarf around my... uh over top of the jacket? Whatever makes you feel more cultured. Okay. I would just feel pretentious if I did that. <laughs> uh, our guests right now, Allison Price and Marty Davis, they are part of something happening this weekend. Close what, enough. Did I say Davis? Yeah. Davis Adams. Problem? I can't read enough. this week. This I, is the third time in two days that I've just botched it completely. It's okay. Just bobbled it. I'm, I'm obviously rubbing <laughs> you, off. You don't want me on your relay team this I week. wasn't going to correct you on it. I was fine being Davis. Yeah, he was like, from henceforth, I shall be known as Davis. Yeah, these are the, I got the. I picked the wrong crowd to make a mistake in front of <laughs> We will never let you live it down. I Well, I, I'm just going to stop. Greg, please well, take I the baton. I suspect they're very good at ad-libbing. <laughs> these two, just just a guess. This is a part of a uh, presentation of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. I think Air Canada is the title sponsor on this. It's the second city guide to the symphony. And I've got a little bit of a clip here to set the stage somewhat. Tim plays the double bass. Because you know what, for Tim, one bass is simply not enough. <laughs> so who's your favorite composer? Oh, you'll have to give me a minute so that I can Google this. Come on. Think, think, who's that guy? He looks like an old-timey judge, mean face, there's a dog named after him. Beethoven, yes! Second City Guide to the Symphony. It's taking place this weekend, Friday, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon. Get your tickets now to be completely blown away and entertained. I watched uh, uh, several minutes of the presentation online. This is absolutely a brilliant combination of comedy and the symphony. How long have you been at this, Marty? Um, this specific show we've been doing for a few years yeah, now. Yeah, since November of 2014. Yeah, it debuted in Toronto, and it's we, of course, are Second City uh, performers. Uh, Second City is a sketch and improv company uh, based out of Chicago, but has been in Toronto for decades. And uh, so it was a lovely marriage of the two, if you will. Uh, we love doing it. It's amazing getting to work with uh, such dignified people because usually we don't get to work with those types. <laughs> oh, definitely not. They don't let us anywhere near them, really. No. Um, so, Is there yeah. a glass partition on the stage? Are they you allowed to interact one originally. Yeah, yeah, they really pushed for it and somehow we convinced them otherwise. So uh, here we are. Yeah, it's like I'm talking to Hannibal Lecter. I turn around and they're just staring <laughs> at me through that glass. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. Anyways. <laughs> so, Allison, how did this... 
idea come to be? Who pitched this? You know what? I, I think it originally was inspired because in Chicago at the Second City, they had had a number of collaborations where they were trying to get, you know, two audiences that otherwise might not go see the similar type of uh, entertainment. They, they had done a collaboration between the Second City and the Lyric Opera Company there. Uh, and I think inspired by that, uh, members uh, are, of our producing team in Toronto, as well as our uh, musical director at the time, Matthew Reed, uh, got the idea to approach the symphony and they were gung-ho, you know. They're always looking, I think, to maybe uh, establish a more young, hip-savvy base. Um, and so it felt like the perfect collaboration. Also, uh, the the conductor at that time, Peter Unjin, he, uh, he's a, quite a funny man in his own right. So it, that was a really lovely uh, lo- lovely opportunity to take advantage of, of his comedic chops. Well, I mean, uh, Sarah's introduced us to some outstanding conductors and guest conductors over the last little while, including Julian, right? Pelicano, we had him in studio. And, and like the personalities that these gentlemen have, we haven't met any female conductors yet, so please apologize the distinction between uh, fellas and, and otherwise. But there is an incredible amount of uh, entertainment value in the conductors. Like they understand putting on a show and a show is a show, right? Absolutely. And we've been finding because I was a little nervous when we started taking this show on the road. We we premiered our sort of North American tour at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. in September. And of course, as we're on tour, we're working with different conductors in every city, different orchestras and different conductors. And I was nervous that no one would be able to measure up to Peter because he's so funny. But we've had we've had really fabulous, interesting, dynamic personalities everywhere we've gone. So we've been lucky in that regard. Marty, are they playing music the whole time that you're on stage? Unfortunately. You know, I feel like they need to give us more of a shot. No, it's wonderful. They play, it's it's literally, there's so many times I'm performing, I just want to stop, turn around, and just admire the beautiful things they're doing. Because it, yeah. it's weird. I mean, people, some people look at what I do, and, and they say, you know, what you do is really beautiful. Um, I disagree. Um, but I, I, I'm just enamored with it, and uh, it's yeah. such a joy to get to perform with them, and uh, it's it's a, it's an amazing amalgam of the two arts. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. Where there's a couple pieces in in every performance where we just let the symphony play, and it's it's lovely. And so we're watching backstage, and and I it's just oh, we're in such admiration. And then at the end of the show, all of the musicians come back and they're like, "What you do is amazing. I could never do what you do." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Did you see your fingers move back there? Holy!" <laughs> so you mentioned the word amalgam. That's a great word. I, I love you. that. So what is the amalgam? What is the goal and what is the presentation style? Is uh, Am I feeling I'm going to a lecture? Am I just getting an inside look at something? Is this uh, peanut butter meets chocolate? Uh, like, <laughs> What really is the basis for this and, and how do you bring us in? How do you make sense of it for me in the audience? Yeah, well, it's <clears throat> it's a... A sketch review, really. It's a it's a comedy review. So a collection of scenes that are very, very funny, as well as songs that are funny, uh, that are all set against like the theme of uh, classical music and and the you know the experience of attending a live symphony show and and even a couple of highbrow references in there. But the difference is we get we get the to experience a symphony at the same time all of the music is is being played by the symphony orchestra uh and you know there's also some playful ribbing between the second city and the orchestra themselves you know the the conductor is a part of it the musicians are a part of it we have scenes where we interact with them 
Um, so it's it's there are definitely going to be some references in there for people who attend the symphony regularly. But for the most part, it's incredibly accessible. You don't need to know anything about live music uh, or about or about or about the symphony or about classical music to appreciate this show. It's peanut butter and chocolate. Yep. Leave it to Marty to say what I said in a much more succinct version. I said it. It's true. I just, I dra- said, I I just drafted off of his bin. That's a classic Marty Davis move is, uh, is stealing other own. people's bits yeah, and making them your own. Marty, i got to tell you, I love it how you made it your own. It was a, it was fabulous performance how you just you. took yeah. that and made I it your own. I had already forgotten about your version, quite frankly, Greg. Well, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. It's if a, you think I'm this good now, come see me March 17th, 18th, and 19th. At the Centennial Concert Hall, is there any room? Greg mentioned ad-libbing earlier. Is there any room for that in this show? Big time. Yeah, we have some improv moments within the show, and it's it's really fun. Yeah, there's actually a wonderful uh, moment. Um, a lot of times we do the show with Colin Mockery um, from uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway fame, and um, we have a scene in the show where we Rat actually... Hack. Yeah, yeah, what a bum. Uh, just let me host. Um, Marty Davis. Um <laughs> But no, seriously, uh, <laughs> we get to improvise with with a uh, few of the members of the uh, the Winnipeg uh, Symphony Orchestra. They come up uh, to the front of the stage with us, and we improvise songs on the spot no based on an audience suggestion. So they are oh, actually wow. improvising the music they're playing. And uh, we create uh, a scene out of it, which is one of my favorite parts in the show. I'd oh, say. absolutely. I think we all, uh, there's only three of us who get to play in the improv portion. And so we rotate amongst the cast members. There are six of us in the cast. We rotate every night who gets to do the improv and everyone's clamoring to do it because oh, yeah. that's the time that we get to really let loose and have fun. How is it for the musicians having to come? Because yeah, I would wonder if you referenced that they ask you, how do you do what you do? And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's because they're sort of hiding behind the safety of their instrument and their, their podium, as it were. So now they're coming out right to the front of the stage with you. Yeah, it's true. And I think a couple of them have been a little nervous to improvise, but for the most part, there's a ton of improvisation in music as well. A lot mm-hmm. of these people have, you know, do side gigs in, you know, like, you know, country bands or folk bands or jazz bands. They, they improvise quite frequently, you know? Uh, so I think that's actually one of the things that makes this marriage of the two styles work so well. Well, and the, the, those, the symphony members are so brilliant. It's just one of those things where they go, oh, I could never do it. And then you, you hang out with them for two seconds and they're hysterical. Or they, they're a little bit shy about it. And as soon as they actually start doing it, they just blow everybody away. Well, these are typically people that can do anything they set their mind to, yeah. right? Yeah, they're virtuosos. Yeah. They really are. So. Virtuosos, that's another good word. Which one's better, amalgam or virtuoso? Uh, right now, virtuoso. Oh. Oh. All right, well, yeah, I just stole it. Sorry, Mr. Davis. That's fine. <laughs> Apologize for that. Do we need to update weather and come back and yes, we do. have some more fun with our guests? Allison Price and Marty Adams. <laughs> in case you're just tuning in and wondering who Marty Davis is, he's nobody. He's a person I made up at the beginning <laughs> because I can't read. Marty Adams is our guest. Yeah. Second City Guide to the Symphony happening this weekend at the Centennial Concert Hall. And we will tell you more about this exciting show after your forecast on 680 CJOB. We aim to make our guests comfortable. By A, calling them by their proper names. Yes. Uh, Marty Adams is here, and so is Allie Price. Yeah. Yeah, you may know her better as Allison Price. They are part of the Second City Guide to the Symphony happening all this weekend at the Centennial Concert Hall. Get your tickets uh, for Friday and Saturday, or Friday or Saturday. We don't want to obligate you to both shows, but if you'd like to go to both, you, <laughs> you can do that. You might want to back, yeah. And Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock at the Centennial Concert Hall. So this started in Toronto and... 
how many places have you visited? Uh, oh. We'll start with you, Allison, on this. Oh, gosh. Well, we've done it now two times at Roy Thompson Hall in Toronto. Uh, uh, both sold-out runs, which was great. And then we went to Washington, D.C., the Kennedy Center. Uh, we played uh, Denver, Colorado, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, Calgary, and now here. Am I missing anything there, Marty? I think that is correct, Allie. What was it like to perform on the stage at the Kennedy Center for the Arts? Ugh, it was amazing. Like, it how, was do you incredible. Wrap your, how do you how do you wrap your head around that, and how do you put that aside and go, okay, it's just another show, it's just another show, but is it? Just another show at that point? Oh, it felt very special. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like a great, a great honor. Yeah. You think about all the greats who have graced that stage and then you just pop my name right next to him where it belongs. <laughs> so it was, it felt right is what I'm saying. What Marty is saying is it was just, just another day, just another dollar. Just yeah. another day for Marty Davis. <laughs> Marty, do, do have you found in the crowds people showing up just thinking it's like just say like a season holder or a season ticket holder yeah. who shows up thinking it's just going to be another I don't want to say run of the mill but like a traditional symphony show and then out come you folks from Second City and do you have any bewildered looks on faces? Oh, for sure. There's certainly some people in the front row who while you're performing are looking up like this this isn't Wagner and I'm like now. No, and but then they but then you watch them like halfway through and they get it and they they have this huge smile on their face and there's a lot of fun audience interaction especially in the front two rows. I go out and visit them so they get a lot of attention from me. It's kind of like our version of a splatter zone only without splatter. <laughs> So they love it. Is that a Gallagher reference? Or? Oh God, are we making Gallagher? Get me some watermelons. I'll, I'll put that into the show. You can make a sledgehammer no, Marty, watermelons. Marty, this is why we don't give you creative control. So this is sort of a win-win situation, right? Because you have uh, folks that are typically coming to Symphony to yes. enjoy, uh, as you know, uh, Brett might suggest, uh, some culture. And then you guys come out and ruin everything. Oh, yeah. And then on the other hand, we have people who are, you know, less cultured, perhaps. And on yeah. the yeah. and you come out and you get exposed to something uh, fantastic that yeah. you maybe didn't realize you had an appreciation for. Absolutely, I think that that's been the great success of this show is how many people who are traditionally symphony goers who say, oh, "I really got to check out this Second City thing they got going on," and then vice versa, the people who have never seen live live symphony before who are like, "I want to come back and see more shows." I think that people are really impressed also too with how good the music is. It's, uh, largely original compositions. A couple of classics are going to be thrown in there, but um, but yeah, the the music is is wonderful in it. It's really beautiful. I, I'm not I'm not saying anything about the performances, but the music <laughs> itself is gorgeous. Any Bugs Bunny references at all? Da, 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 da. Uh, there's certainly some wacky. What yeah. is it? The Barber of Seville, right? There's definitely yeah. yeah there's actually, definitely homages. Yeah, to they that. sometimes play the Barber of Seville. Actually, I think maybe not in this program. I don't. I can't remember which ones they're playing in this program, but right. But no, definitely. There's a there's a scene where people show up late to the symphony, and there's a someone who's a ticket taker who makes them wait. So there's this whole big. It's very very uh, Looney Tunes esque. Yeah. Because uh, our composer and one of the writers, Matt Reed, he's very much into that. So yeah. if that's something you love, if you love the old Bugs Bunny uh, uh, symphony stuff, you'll really enjoy this show. Allie, has it ever been difficult, sort of getting to used to new musicians every time you go to a new city? Uh, a little bit, uh, but I think that's also the joy of it too you know uh we had i remember back in um 
<laughs> Back in Toronto, we have uh, this lovely couple, Leslie and Mark. They're they're both musicians in the symphony, and they were just hams. Like they were hams, especially Leslie. And she would always be, you know, we every once in a while we'd refer to the symphony, and she'd be doing her own bit off to the side. <laughs> so, and we've encountered characters like that at every place that we've gone. People who really get into the spirit of of the comedy of it, and and that's just so lovely. My yeah. favorite is when we have a reference in the show, like we reference John Cage and how he, he makes a lot of cacophonous music. Um, everyone knows John Cage, am I right? Um, but a lot of times, <laughs> yeah, me neither. No, um, but me a lot neither. of times, <laughs> I know it now. People in the symphony, uh, members, like someone who plays, you know, the lute, will come up to me and go, you should really reference Fabio DeBreezy on that one. Not John Cage. I mean, come on, Fabio. And I'm like, who's Fabio DeBreezy? Yeah. Did you yeah. did you say on the lute? Yeah, I figured that was a weird instrument. <laughs> yeah. They play those, right? Just, just, just as a quick <laughs> Apparently, it's just a fact. Next time you come, 
to Winnipeg, you bring some of your mama's sauce. Okay. I'll bring some of my mama's sauce, and you and yeah. I will have a spaghetti off. That, uh, it's on. And uh, Marty can judge. I'll just eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. From the symphony to the ballet after Global News on 680 CJOB. Coming up on to 3.08 on this Tuesday afternoon. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you until 4 o'clock. Then it's Richard and Julie. Get you home safe and informed on the news straight through until 7 o'clock. And the Winnipeg Jets were scheduled to play a game in New Jersey, New York to be specific. But that storm on the eastern seaboard has canceled that game tonight. In fact... Cancelled is the wrong word. It's been rescheduled for March 28th. So no Jets tonight. Um, So that means maybe you want to check out the ballet. No, there's no ballet tonight, unfortunately. But there are very few cancellations in ballet. So why don't we talk about the 78th season of Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet, one of the true treasures in our community. Andre Lewis is the artistic director. He joins us in studio this afternoon. Uh, Andre, a pleasure to meet you, sir. What a great fortune for us to be able to speak with you today. 78th season. You, you don't look a day over 40, my friend. Yes, You're well, looking thank very you good. very much. That's, uh, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so tell us what the ballet has in store for us this season and some of the extra special, uh, well, you know, the extra special things that might be coming our way. Uh, which we just announced today. Well, we're opening with a ballet called Princess and the Goblin. It's a work of uh, iconic Twyla Tharp. It's a whimsical work. It's a very beautifully put together. Twyla Tharp is this... Uh, very well-known Broadway ballet musical uh, choreographer that has had this incredible career. So she came to us uh, five years ago. We created this work. We have only shown it once in Winnipeg. We said, this is time to show it again because it was so successful at the time. Following, we do Nutcracker at Christmas, something that we've done now for uh, 17 years with this Canadian theme or Canadian-based version. It's actually set in Winnipeg at the turn of the last century in 1913, I think. Uh, and it's set in uh, in an area called now Munson Park, which is at the corner of Grosvenor and Wellington Crescent. Now, you won't see the ballet performing there. It's at the concert hall. But the set, the designs is from that era and uh, from uh, based on the house, which no longer exists. It's now a park called Munson Park. We're bringing a Ballet Jorgand for a work called Anastasia. Ballet Jorgand is a company based in Toronto. They're a wonderful company. I've known the, the choreographer uh, who, and director, which is Bank Jorgand. He's worked with the RWB before. They came a couple of years ago, did a very successful Cinderella. They're coming back. We're going to be presenting The Sleeping Beauty. We were having a little discussion. Should it be The Sleeping Beauty or just simply Sleeping well, Beauty? Well, uh, en français. En français, play. it's La Belle au Bois Dormant, which is a Charles Perrault uh, conte, if you will, in French. And La means The. So that's why I think we call it The Sleeping Beauty. But it's one of the great uh, works of Petipa. It's a choreographer and music of Tchaikovsky. It's it's an iconic work. Uh, it's, you know, if you've never seen ballet, it's a beautiful way to be introduced to it. It's got lots of tutus, lots of point shoes, beautiful bodies moving in, in tune with the music. 
It's a fantastic show. And we're going to finish with Serenade and Carmina Burana. And all of these works are done with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. So you get double bang for your money because you get symphony and ballet together. So it's, it's, it's exciting. And we also have our work with our school called Spotlight. We have On the Edge. We have a tour coming up of Dracula. We're going to be in Ottawa with uh, Dracula, which is the Mahler's music, which is some work we uh, presented, I think, uh, well, uh, several in 1999, I think it was a big success for us. So, uh, you know, the RWB is alive and well. But Dracula, I think, was uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it not put to film and, and yeah, uh, by Guy Madden, right? Uh, yeah, like outstanding, outstanding. And uh, we just performed it actually in the fall at Halloween. People came in costumes and everything, it was it was great fun, but yeah, it was uh. M- m- Actually, Guy Madden uh, and, and the RWB worked really well together on uh, the Dracula. It was great fun to have. So we have quite a season coming up. So I, certainly uh, I want people to come and see us. You know, the first step of the dance is them getting into the theater and being part of uh, this incredible uh, art form. You know, I mean, I look at those those beautiful uh, dancers, their body, the, the ability they have to move the fluidity the motion and, and the artistic uh, expression that comes out of them. I mean, we work like Serenade, which is a beautiful Balanchine work. Carmina Burana, which is this incredible, powerful too. Carmina Burana is the music of Carl Orff. You know, that's the fourth time we're presenting in Winnipeg. Every time people say, are you bringing it back next year? I said, well, not quite, but <laughs> there's this incredible Wanting to see, again, both those works are stupendous works. So it's going to be a nice way of finishing the 78th season. And then, of course, our school shows with Spotlight and On the Edge, two other extraordinary shows. We'll find out more about the 78th season for the Royal Winnipeg Ballet announced today. Andre Lewis is the Executive Artistic Director of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. More with him, Mackling and McGarry. After traffic and weather together, next. Andre Lewis, the executive artistic director of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, is our guest in studio. The RWB has announced its 78th season today. And Andre, I somebody once told me that it's, it's good uh, for educational purposes to bring your little kids to the ballet because they it helps them to learn to interpret things like symbolism and, and then that makes them sort of stronger critical thinkers throughout their life. Is there any truth to that or did I completely misinterpret what was told to me? Well, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not an expert at that other than uh, exposing people at a young age to, uh, to the art, to uh, music, ballet, uh, theater, or, or even visual arts, uh, painting and things like that, I, I think always brings a fuller person into, into being. And, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I, I was exposed to uh, ballet at a very young age and to also theater and painting. And, and I think I became a, a, a more broader person because of it rather than having just a narrow series of experience. So I, I, I feel that, I mean, there's, it's hard to quantify. It's a bit easier maybe to qualify that uh, I, I think you, you will do no harm to bring someone uh, to seeing Sleeping Beauty, Nutcracker, Princess and the Goblin or Serenade, Anastasia or any of those works. I think it, it just broadens your, your, your concept of what the world is like around you. Sometimes I imagine that with these sorts of cultural type events, 
It's just a matter of getting people in the building the first time, just to see it once. Yeah, I think, you know, to, to, you know there was this uh, couple that told me they, they had a chance. They saw an ad for, uh, it was Princess and the Goblin, actually. Uh, the the uh, the spouse had been going for a long time. I won't be gender specific here who did and didn't go. But they ended up going together uh, to Princess and uh, this person absolutely adored it and ever since have been coming to the ballet. And, you know, when you think about it, all of those, this the quality that comes with it, uh, and again, be it ballet or music or theater or anything, it 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 just it broadens who who you are and how you see the world. So. Well, I, and that's I think kind of what happened to me. I went to, I first went to the ballet. I don't know. I want to say in say two thousand nine with my girlfriend who had been a number of times. And Moulin Rouge was the oh, show. Yeah. And I kind of had that ah oh, the ballet. I'm getting dragged to the ballet. And uh, and I I'm glad I went because. I try to keep an open mind and I sort of am ashamed that I had that attitude going in because it was wonderful. And I went mm-hmm. back a number of times after mm-hmm. and every time I go, I enjoy it more. Yeah. It's a truly an amazing experience. I, I often say to people, you know, and again, without being gender specific, you said, look what I've done for God and country. Must I be at the ballet? <laughs> and, and it was... <laughs> <laughs> and once there was a couple, and I'll be generous, but it was the husband who turns to his wife. They arrive at the theater. We were performing Dracula. And he turns to his wife, you never told me this was going to be ballet. And and I saw the couple after the performance, and he absolutely adored it. He loved it. Dracula is a great show. It's really well put together. And... And and it was it was fascinating for me to say that uh, you know she never told them well we're going to go see she just said we're going to go see Dracula he didn't in- inquire what kind of uh, uh, platform it was going to be on the, <laughs> on film on or by film. Play yeah he or thought it was going to see a film but sure. he loved the ballet well, but you know at first you have this hesitation you know it's not made for me but you know until you tried I do that with my son all the time he, he's very fussy about food and it's until you make you know he, he based it on looks I said well try tasting it also it might help and so you know what I really liked it but until you push them to try it and then it it's it's just revelation. It's, so it's fascinating because Moulin Rouge brought a lot of new people to the ballet that had never been. Maybe they were hoping for, for some uh, wardrobe malfunction. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Andre, we just have maybe a minute left yeah. here. But just in the broad sense, is ballet, and of course, we're so lucky here to, to have the RWB here, but it, is the RWB broadening its uh, fan base, so to speak, to borrow from sports terminology? Uh, yes. I mean, it's... It, there's an ebb and flow to all of this, and but we tried to bring works that have uh, on one side market appeal and on the other side artistic integrity, and, and and it's not that every single vehicle we bring is for a broad base of people, but you you try to bring a a, a wide experience so that people will find something in everything we do. So we're always uh, trying to build our audience base. And you do this by by being sensitive to people, but always coming from an artistic perspective. It never should be about, well, I'll do whatever I need in order to get bums in seat. That's selling your soul, essentially. And we have never, ever done that. Andre Lewis is the executive artistic director of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. The 78th season announced today, and it includes The Sleeping Beauty, as well as Nutcracker and The Princess and the Goblin. Andre, thank you so much for visiting us today. 
It's a pleasure. Traffic, weather, sports, all up next on 680 CJOB. 338. We got a surprise for you. Uno, two, three, get 680 CJOB's fly away to you too. Your time to win is now. Because we had a little bit of a folks pass. Faux pas en français. Earlier this morning, we announced the same name, the exact same name at 710 as we did at 1110 this morning. We are going to announce a bonus name in the opportunity to get away to see you 2 in Vancouver, May 12th, the 30th anniversary of the Joshua Tree Tour. Everybody wants to be there. If you want to be there, go to cjob.com, enter your name. We will announce... The goal is to announce five different names on a daily basis. If we'd stuck to the formula today, it would have been four. So we want to make it up to you. Good customer service goes a long way, we believe. And so Graham Boyd, you have five minutes to call us at 780-6868. You'll get your name in to win the trip for two to Vancouver to see you two hotel accommodations for two on the 12th and the 13th, two tickets to BC Place Stadium to see you two, and then we'll even uh, put you up in a hotel and we'll bring you home. Exciting. The winner will be announced March 31st from all the people who successfully report into us within the five minute time limit when their names are called at 710 with Shadow Davis, 1110 with Jeff Courier, 210 ish with Mackling and McGarry, and at 510 with. Julian Richard on the news. And what's that name again? It is Graham Boyd. Not Graham Boyd. Graham Boyd. How do you spell that? G-R-A-E-M-E. Graham Boyd. G-R-A-E-M-E. You have five minutes to call us at 204-780-6868 to claim your spot in the draw. To go and see you too. That's a great trip. Absolutely a great trip. Is that your favorite U2 album? Yeah, that's not even really close. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, period, dot. So uh, I would do just about anything to be at one of these shows on this tour. I was inquiring about uh, getting tickets to Chicago, the show in Chicago, but uh, that's not an option right now. And so actually I've got someone working on getting me tickets for the show in Toronto on a Friday. I think it's June 28th. Oh, wow. So I've got my fingers crossed on that. Might be able to just uh, jump over to TDOT for a show at the Sky Dome to see you two in that uh, 30th anniversary tour. We've had a busy day. Uh, we got cultured for a whole entire hour. The WSO presenting their second city Concert on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Second City Guide to the Symphony. And uh, we had the artistic director, the executive artistic director, in fact, Andre Lewis, his 23rd season. He's like the Bob Cameron of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. 23 seasons as the executive artistic director of the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. Uh, Their 78th season as a ballet coming up here and uh, some incredible uh, shows. And Brett, you marvel at the men and women in the RWB. Uh, I count them as some of the greatest athletes on our planet. Oh, 100% agree on that. Every time I go to the show, the first time I went to the ballet, like I said, it was Moulin Rouge. And I was I was up in the, yeah, not, I guess the nosebleeds, really, for the concert. The concert hall equivalent of the nosebleeds. I was up in the, the sort of the, the upper balcony. And even from there, I could see just how incredible these athletes are. 
But then the next time I got to go to a show, I was, I don't know, in the ninth or 10th row. And when you, when you're up that close, you truly see the definition on these people, their, their physiques. They, they really, they made me, I left that show feeling so bad about myself. Like, Oh my God. No, that's not a reason not to go, you know, just because Brett left a show and a performance feeling bad about himself. It may inspire you to uh, do some extra Pilates, perhaps maybe get to another yoga class, start uh, running, start cycling, start moving, period. Mm. It is uh, quite inspirational. And uh, I I don't know. There's something about a live performance of any sort, whether it's the WSO, whether it's the RWB, whether it's rock and roll, it's Ed Sheeran, it's... You know, you don't even have to like or even, in my mind, even know who you're going to see. There's something so powerful about a live performance of any type. As long as it's halfway good, it stirs your soul. I'm going to sound sappy saying that, but I believe that and I've experienced it every single time. And, you know, we started this segment talking about U2 and giving away a trip to see U2. Going to see your favorite band live can be a, a pseudo-religious experience for a lot of people. And I used to go see concerts all the time when I was younger and in the, in the, sort of the heyday of Canadian rock. I, I went to the Pyramid a whole bunch and saw bands like I, Mother Earth and Matthew Goodband and The Watchmen and... Uh, a band called the Barstool Prophets. I don't know if you remember them. I do not. I I was with you on every other band until that last one. Took a boot to the face at the concert bowl at the old barn for uh, during a moist concert. It was a I think it was I Mother Earth open and then moist closed it. And I took a boot because I was in the middle of the crowd surfers and probably a bad idea for a guy who's six four standing amidst all the 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 the, the four feet tall teenagers because I was I was twenty one or I think it was. 2021 and it was all 14 to 15 year olds so naturally i this crowd surfer comes down face first bleed in my nose i'm lucky i didn't break my nose but i think that might actually have deterred me maybe that's why i didn't go i stopped going to concert you feel better now we've talked it out i think so it's out there now now you know why uh, it was like our own little therapy session yeah, there I think it's so. like uh, who needs carolyn glossin <laughs> or dr cyrus you know, we'll just talk things out. No, no, we'll keep uh, Dr. Cyrus in his regular slot at 2.30 on Friday and Carolyn Clausen at 2.30 on Thursday. I think the five minutes are up. Five minutes are up? Okay, sorry. Oh, Graham, dude. Graham, Graham, Graham Boyd missed his shot. The bonus, the, the bonus. But we do have more stuff to give away here. We have stuff to give away for the 43rd annual World of Wheels happening March 24th to the 26th at the Convention Center. Now, today's trivia question, I don't think this is too hard, but I'm kind of nervous about this one. It goes back to the 1980s. It was the early 80s. I don't specifically remember the year, but I think I was six years old, so that would have made this around 1984. And I was super excited because the actor from a TV show I liked was at World of Wheels. I went to World of Wheels with my parents, and in the show... He had this blue glowing suit, and he drove a blue glowing car that looked kind of like it came out of Tron. So I wanted his autograph. I ran over to meet him, but he said we had to pay for the autograph, so I left really sad. <laughs> and then the show was canceled five months after it debuted, so that's what you get. Anyway. What, That'll be 10 bucks, kid. What was that show? I need you to name the show from the early 80s with the blue car and the guy with the blue suit. This is your version of a hint? This is your idea of a trivia question and a hint? Yeah. Am I giving too much away? 
I don't know. Oh. I have no idea what show you're talking about. Well, let's see. Usually I'm in the neighborhood at least. Seven eight zero six eight six eight. Oh, people are calling in. Maybe you did maybe you did an okay job on that one. If not eh, it was around nineteen seventy two, nineteen eighty four, I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, I, 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 well, I can I can tell you the year of the show. Okay. Debuted in 1983. Okay. I just, so that's why I think the World of Wheels would have been 1984. And uh, because the show ended in 1984. So it had to, I guess it had to have been in 1984. Well, if nothing else, <laughs> I'll be listening to Traffic and Weather Together and I'll be eagerly awaiting the answer to this question. Traffic and Weather Together up next. I don't believe somebody got that question. <laughs> That's how I usually ask about actors and stuff. You know, the guy in the movie with the other guy about the stuff. And then you always manage you always manage to figure out who I'm talking about. <laughs> you give that out. That was his trivia question. It was a boat like that. First caller. He's a couch it. potato. Though. We'll tell you. We'll tell you <laughs> the answer and who got it right right after we visit with Richard and Julie. Uh, an interesting, if not unexpected, announcement from the provincial government regarding education today. Size doesn't matter. Ooh, apparently not. Are we just going to Why is everyone looking there? at me? <laughs> Somebody please speak. K to three in the classroom. That's right. This is uh, was a hallmark of the last government. And a lot of the research showed that if you have fewer children in the classroom, especially at those early ages, K to three. Did they have research, Richard, that, that showed there, that or was is, it anecdotal? There or was, was a lot belief? of there's a lot of international research okay. that shows that uh, if you can concentrate resources in on children at those younger ages. And what the provincial government is, is saying is, you know what, if divisions want to focus in on that, they can at the local level. But they're not going to be hamstrung by it because uh, they had, under the previous government until this year, to be able to show on a website how many classrooms had actually achieved that goal. Now, you can interpret this as a way to build teachers, to, to, to build more jobs in the classroom. Uh, we'll hear from Norman Gould, who is president of the Manitoba Teachers Society, at 445 uh, now, about the, the issue. the province saying that there's no evidence that it increases and improves outcomes. So I guess it depends well, on the research you do. But what they're saying is so far there's no evidence, but we're very early in that process, right? So I, I want to hear what Gould has to say, and you can certainly react to it because I think it's it, it's pretty basic that if, in the classroom of of 2017 is a lot different now Absolutely than when is. we went to, to school and depending on the neighborhood. You know, you grow up in suburbia, not the same problems that you have in inner city Winnipeg. So an inner city Winnipeg classroom of of 20 is very different from some other classrooms. So I do know that one size does not fit all when it comes to education, but I'll be very interested to see how this shakes down. Jules? A little bit later on, we're going to... Uh Rocket into space. We're yes. going to make someone a winner and send them off to see Chris Hadfield. <laughs> I was getting all excited. I was like, when are you leaving? I was getting all super worked Listen, up I didn't here. come here <laughs> yes, yesterday at this time You know to chat. what the deal is when you come in here. It's all Well, I didn't all come yesterday, and I heard I was missed, and apparently oh, yeah, I wasn't. Oh, that's right. You didn't come. That's right. Yeah. See, so I didn't even remember that. No. The absence you... makes the heart grow. Yeah. Less bit, fond? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, so you're going to, Hatfield's coming, that's mm -hmm. kind of really, that's exciting stuff. Yeah, that's fun. Yep, and what else? Anything uh, else? Are you really focusing on this education stuff? There's well, lots of stories yes. ahead. Um, are, are we a secondhand city or not? I say yes. I was on Kijiji last night. 
We're going to talk Kijiji and what a secondhand economy means. Julie Fabulous. Buckingham, Richard Cloutier, thank you very much, the two of you. The news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. And while we have a minute left, I'll just quickly tell you, uh, congratulations to Greg Kostefko. Did I, did I get it right? I did. Kostefko. Of course it was a Greg that got it right. And uh, the answer to the question was, it was the early 80s. I don't quite remember the year. I didn't remember the year at first. It was about a show who about a guy who had this... <laughs> Blue glowy suit and his car glowed blue, <laughs> kind of like something out of Tron. And the answer was Auto Man. So Walter must fight crime in his own way, in the computer room. That's where he's an expert. Fortunately for me, Walter's advanced knowledge of electronics led him to experiment with what is called a hologram. That's a very fancy word for a three-dimensional picture that, when perfected, can be made to look real, sound real. As a matter of fact, given enough power, it can even be made to feel real. That's kind of what got me into this world. My name is Automan. It debuted December 15th, 1983. Its final episode aired April 2nd, 1984. Greg texted us as well, and he said, I won the tickets. Woohoo! For the record, he adds, Auto Man was the worst show ever. <laughs> I was getting that sense based on the length of its run. There are some good shows that get canceled that quickly, but typically, back in those days, the networks got it right. So we'll have more tickets to give away to the 43rd <laughs> Annual World of Wheels all week. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJB. Greg, thank you very much. Thanks, And Brett. Jeff Forte, thank you, sir. Another fine day. The news coming up next on 680 CJOB.